Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. All right. Howard Young, good evening. Episode 14. I'm pretty stoked about this. Yeah. 13, was, 13 was slow to get out, but recording 14 pretty quickly. So it's uh, we're back on a roll. Yes. And I was on the horn today talking to some folks, trying to line some more interviews up because we need to get them going. It's yeah, nice I, to have some in reserve. I'm going to reach out or, or say something now just to say thank you to Eric Stambro for saying, hey, where's your last episode for your podcast? <laughs> when we were late. So thanks, yeah. Eric. Thanks for uh, looking out for us and keeping us on on track. We yeah, it was actually it. his idea to do a how to episode, and I'll yep. be honest, it's kind of taken off like a shot, which is really good. 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 Had several people reach out, and I could tell that it, you know, folks seem to like it. So we will definitely be doing another one. So tonight we have a gentleman that I've known of and I've communicated with through that wonderful thing called Facebook over the years, and he. Uh, his business has really taken off. I know we shared some things in common through fact that he was an educator and I was an educator at the same time. And so we kind of had that in common. Then obviously the passion for dogs, but we have with us tonight, KD Matthews, KD. How are you for the show, man? How are you? Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you. First and foremost, thanks for reaching out. I'm very happy and privileged to be here. I'm glad we're here tonight. Well, thank you. Good to have you on. Sorry, it's taken so long. So, do you remember when we met, Howard? I'd have to go. I bet I could research it, but I don't exactly. Charlotte, 2018 at an Eno seminar. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I had to do my own. <laughs> Listen, that wasn't on the top of my head. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I had man, to do a little great. scratching before we got on tonight. Because I, I said to myself, how long have I known Howard? I knew I met you at the seminar, and I had to do some dates to figure out when it was but yeah it was a uh, fall of 2018 i want to say yeah nice that uh that's an interesting story in and of itself for another time <laughs> <laughs> well you know we were talking right before we got started you know we all have something pretty cool in common we were all edu- in education teaching whether that's high school college or whatever and then all now have dog training companies that's a it's a pretty interesting uh road to share Absolutely. Because, and you know, it's no secret. And anybody who follows me on Facebook in particular, I've been speaking a lot more to dog trainers versus dog owners uh, as of late. And even on the Drinks and Dogs podcast that I co-host with Mike Jones out at Primal Canine, you know, there's been a, a continual message that I've been pushing out more and more. And that is this emphasis on the, we gotta, we gotta help dog owners or And I know for a lot of your followers and listeners, dog handlers, Mm -hmm. you know, like we cannot forget that, you know, those folks that work in dogs, Mm -hmm. like it's still a human, Mm -hmm. whether you're police, military, you're volunteer search and rescue, you're volunteer detection, you're there's a human on that end of the leash. And that is has been traditionally such an overlooked part, an overlooked element to any type of progression, any type of training that you're really working on that, you know, I know sitting here with you gentlemen and our collective backgrounds of teaching people how to do stuff. When you mix that background, expertise, knowledge, what have you, 
or at least consciousness, even if you're not great at it, just be aware that I really need to focus on how I'm communicating with the person holding the leash. It makes all the difference in the outcomes with the animal. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I would say that it, with, within our business with Double H, like you, is we, we focus on pet dogs. That's that's Double H's whole business model is pet dogs. And every day, if they're not every day, but anytime we have any type of issue, it is 99.9% of the time poor communication with the owner of the dog. And we, if they'd done a better job communicating, they wouldn't have that problem. And it would have been, and it's a, usually an easy fix because it's it's a conversation usually. And that's just getting people back in the game, making sure that you're, you know, that that transference of information of what we've done with the dog, because it doesn't matter. You know, I've known Howard for a long time and he's a really good dog trainer, but if you're giving that dog to a handler, it's not about you anymore. It doesn't matter what you can do with a dog. It matters what the handler or the owner can do with the dog, period. And then at the end of the day, it all boils, boils down to how effective of a communicator are you? You know, we talk about being patient with dogs. I think it takes patience to train a dog, but it takes patience to train humans <laughs> to handle Absolutely. dogs. Absolutely. Well, patience is the, that's the the least of, <laughs> of the things you need to have. Because when we get involved with the humans, the managing ego and emotional intelligence are too very often overlooked or not even talked about at all in our community, because when you're working with that person, there's so many barriers that they have mm -hmm. to making whatever the necessary change is. And the, the there's a, a very, there's an undeniable universality to pet dog, canine, military, because of that, that human holding the leash, right? Well, there's an ego in every single one of us. Now, how that ego manifests itself, how we manage our own ego, it varies from individual to individual. You get there and you're talking to a person who's making a mistake. Let's say they're doing something wrong in their handling. Yes, there's patience involved because you might have told them two times, three times prior. But now we're getting into the world of ego because they might puff up at you. Or now we have to realize, wait a minute, just because I told it to them three times, obviously, I need to do it a fourth, and I better do it differently than the first three. That's on me as a teacher, but I have to be in such control of my own ego that I don't put it on the student. Like, dude, I told you three freaking times what's your problem. Even if he truly does have a problem, mm -hmm. like, I, I can't. There's a time and a place for, for getting assertive. There's a time and a place for checking them if they're not paying attention or they're doing something else. That's a different story. But it, it's not in the pitch. It's in the catch. Sure. So I got to throw it differently. And that's that's a big ego check for the team. It doesn't mean you just do it louder. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean because I think that's what a lot of people do. They just they get frustrated and they get loud. So I had a guy visiting, and I obviously I'm not gonna disclose his name. He was actually from out of state and he reached out and we have that happen, which is which is kind of a cool thing. It's a little flattering. Somebody that wanna come and this is a fairly new handler and he 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 uh, one of the things he said before he left, he said, you know what? It was just really nice to come. So go somewhere where I'm not being yelled at. <laughs> that, that was one of his big takeaways. And I said, well, I promise you, you won't get yelled at here. I mean, it's it's not necessary. And I think, you know, we're all different. We all have different learning styles. And sometimes we have to try to figure out what someone's learning style is and and cater to that. There are definitely are people that are hands on. There are some that are, you know, that's 
kinesthetic learners. They need to touch. They need to do things with their hands. So taking the lead from them and showing them may not be the way to do it or, or speaking to them. You have to talk them through it and they have to feel it. I remember I had a handler one time that was, uh, he began in the process, he would start telling me what the dog's thinking as we're going through doing things. And it would really, really tick the other guys off. They would go, why don't you tell him to shut up? And I, and I just always resisted the temptation to do that because it occurred to me that that's how he was processing the information. He didn't have to convince me that that's what was really going on. That's how he was learning. And mm -hmm. by all means, let him go. Let him talk. Tell me what the dog's thinking. I don't care. <laughs> but do, do you find, you know, for me, you know, I do a lot of private instruction still, and I'll find that I'll have a couple of clients come in and I'll notice that there's a consistency of something they're not doing well. And then that's on me to go back and go, it's in your presentation, you know, cause you now, now there's multiple people here that are doing the same thing and not doing it well. So how did you communicate that? Uh -huh. So you back up, explain it differently. You know, it's, it's your job as an instructor to go, okay, let's do this the other way. Cause you know, we take for granted having, you know, I think we are over 8,000 dogs now that's come through. And so we've seen all these dogs and all these people. And sometimes we forget what, the, the little nuances that we have on our mind and we think we communicate that or, or we just gloss over it thinking everybody knows that, right? Yeah. My wife reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> well, mine does too. And usually it's just that I'm dumb. So uh, it keeps me, keeps me in check. Katie, tell us a little bit about Socratic canine and how that, how you got started in that or how you that know, started. It, it's not, it, it's definitely not my first venture. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it, you know, over the years, I've had various little businesses, you know, stuff I've done on the side. Socratic Canine was a kind of a, a relaunch of my interest in working with dog owners. And the I had come to the realization that I needed to double down on the human end of the leash. You know, mm -hmm. what we've been talking about throughout this whole dialogue, mm -hmm. you know, and having always been working with dogs and dog owners on the side and teaching at the same time. It was for a while, I didn't quite understand why some of my clients were doing better than other friends of mine who were better dog trainers. Mm -hmm. And like, well, why are my clients progressing faster? Mm -hmm. And we'd have conversations about it. And finally the light bulb went off and it was, well, because I'm, I'm working the person better, I'm doing a better job with that. And what happened was I was spending a lot more time online, especially on Facebook, like going into these incredibly toxic Facebook groups, specifically mm -hmm. the, the breed groups in particular, and you're working. It, you're, you're a brave man. <laughs> or dub, one or the other. Maybe it's a combination of both. And I was going in there for the purpose of refining my dialogue skills, refining my ability to uh, rebut emotional objections and dog owners, refining my ability to to articulate what I do and what I believe in and how I teach. Well, I, I, I met this one gentleman in Ireland named Jamie Hanratty. This young fella had a passion for his dogs that just came through the computer. And I remember I was in Walmart one day and I just had this idea. I'm going to train this guy how to train his dog on the computer. This episode of the Working Dog Depot podcast is brought to you by our title sponsor, Fox and Hound. Fox and Hound has spent years creating the perfect formulas that are safe for our pups and contain many natural ingredients. They develop the highest quality products for all dogs and products for all dog lovers and their homes. Products range from scented kennels to dog shampoo 
flea and tick spray, stain remover, paw balm, and dog cologne. They've even developed a line for working dogs and their handlers. For you folks who are required to wear a vest while on duty, you should check out their vest spray. Folks, the Young Home has fox and hound products in every room. For me, it's really quite simple. The products are great, and they're made by great people. Order online at shopfoxandhound.com or follow an order on Instagram at shopfoxandhound. For a 15% discount, use the WDDP discount code. Remember, man's best friend deserves dog's best products. And I shot him a Facebook message. I'm like, listen, man, I got an offer that you can't refuse. And I took him on as a mentee. And from there, it was, what, what is it that I'm doing here? And can this be replicated? Him and I crushed it together with his dogs. Mm-hmm. He did amazing. And I was like, all right, it's time for me to relaunch a whole new approach to working with dogs by way of focusing on dog owners. Socratic Canine came about. The t- the name, very cliche, sitting at a bar with right. uh, my web designer who has been helping me with, you know, I had kdmatthews.com for a while, just blogging and being present in the community. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden, in the middle of a conversation where I was talking about how I prefer principles over methods. I prefer teaching fundamental concepts and getting my students to, I keep saying why to them. Why? When they tell me something, why? Why did that work? Why did that not work? Why, 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 why? And I'm like, you know, you know, I, I use the Socratic method. I do it at school with my student. All of a sudden, <laughs> the light bulb hit up, like, give me a napkin. Give me a napkin. I take the napkin out, Socratic canine. And all of a sudden, there it is. And it just went out of control from there. I started communicating with more people online and helping more dog owners. This is pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So by the time COVID hit, I started doing consulting for other dog trainers because they were like, hey, how do you do this online stuff? Like, how do you actually train a dog online? I'm like, you don't. You don't train a dog online. And that's one of the things, you know, you see on Facebook, you know, now there's more people providing online services. Mm -hmm. So, of course, not all of them are the same, just like not all trainers are created equal. And there's some stuff out there that I wouldn't recommend my worst enemy to take. So people will make this blanket statement in general, like, oh, you can't train dogs online. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. But you can help support, educate and train dog owners to improve from where they currently are to get to a better place. But there's some there's some learn there's a learning curve there there's a lot of principles and not how to very very little how to and in my program the canine blueprint which is my flagship program for socratic canine it is a very in-depth online program we got over 100 lessons another 80 no probably well 80 coaching sessions that are recorded and archived each of them is probably 2 hours long mm-hmm. of me actually coaching these dog owners on the application of the principles. So I give a little bit of how, mm-hmm. I give a whole lot of why, and then I just cut them loose. Right. And then they record their what they're doing, they show up to a coaching call, and then we can break it down. Like, why'd you do that? Why is the dog looking over there? Why are you looking over here? Why'd you, why is your right hand lower than your left hand? I, I know the answer to all the questions. I just get them to start explaining it because I can't grab the leash. Mm-hmm. Like that person's in Australia, right. that person's in Belgium. I can't touch the leash. So how do I help them? And it forces you to get really, really, really good at communicating uh-huh. and and getting ideas across in a variety of different ways. It's helped me tremendously with dogs I do handle. 
because mm-hmm. I've had to explain it so many different ways. It forces you to take your own level of comprehension to a place it hasn't been before. Otherwise, you will fail at the job of teaching a dog. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as a, a balanced trainer in terms of your philosophy? Define balanced. Well, balanced. If we're going to do labels, I'm going to put you on the spot. You have to. Explain. Uh, no, that's fine. No, I don't mind. The, well, if we look at uh, purely positive on one end, on one end, and maybe high compulsion on the other end, do you find yourself somewhere in between there? I, probably the easiest way for me to, and forgive me, I just had to put you on the spot there. For no, I don't. That mind. was that was for my own entertainment. I am not purely positive, force free. I am not an ideologue. Uh, following any type of false prophecy. No, I, I provide the dog with whatever consequence is appropriate for that dog to learn the given lesson Mm -hmm. in the most productive, beneficial way to that dog possible. That may have been the best answer we've ever had. That's pretty good. I'm going to steal that. Go right ahead. (laughs) Go right ahead. Get the transcript out, publish it, print it. I hope other people, and, and here's why, because I am so sick of these labels mm. and it there's just, I understand human nature is to put categories and things. We always want things in boxes because we feel better when it's in a box because I know what's in that box and I know whether I'm going to stay away from that box or I'm going to take that box with me everywhere I go. But by golly, it's in a box and it's labeled. There's a certain security in that. And I understand that and I respect that, but I want us all to rise above looking for security and comfort. And let's get to a point where we can just take things as they are. And when it comes to everyone who isn't purely positive, everybody else, yes, there is one hell of a spectrum. And, and across that spectrum, like we can't label every category within it. We can't label every rung on that ladder. It's just, do we use all types of consequences? Yes or no? All right. Now let's determine how good you are at doing it. And the dog will tell you that. There you go. Proof is in the pudding on that one. It's mm-hmm. always about the dog. Are you Show being, me the dogs. <laughs> are you successful or are you not successful? That's right. Yep. There you go. That's the best part about these dogs is if you know what you're looking at, they will always tell you the truth. They will let you know everything there is to know about yourself and I think for me, I, I got a good dose of that with my period of time where I was with working dogs. I wasn't always in pet dogs. I had about a good, just under 10 years where I kind of walked away from pet dogs outside of the occasional person on the side paying me a couple bucks to teach them. And everything was, I mean, three to four nights a week at club in the suit. This is like late 90s, early to, early to mid 2000s with working dogs. Mm-hmm. And man... I had my card pulled so many times by dogs that looked at me and they said, would you say to me, human? Mm. And, you know, finally getting to work with socially aggressive, rank-driven dogs that, no, it isn't about dominating them. It isn't about being the boss. It's where you finally learn how to be a partner with a dog. Mm -hmm. And the way I came up with dogs was, as a kid, I mean, it was Keeler. Oh, yeah, for sure. There was no internet. You know, I didn't have internet. I didn't have any of that. We went to a library. We pulled out a card catalog. We found a book. We read it. And it was throw on a choke chain and start making some 90-degree turns. Now, I'll tell you what. There is some value to a lot of the things in that book. Oh, for sure. But it's all in how you do it. Well, I started off like all I had was that book. Oh, yeah. And well, I had... Labrador- that was all that was there was that book. <laughs> and 
you know, there's some dogs I'd like to apologize to if I ever get the chance. And <clears throat> my own training has been real like seesaw. Like it went from really firm <laughs> overdid it plenty of times sure and then getting around working dogs and realizing oh those dogs will let you know if you were unfair holding that leash uh -huh. and i remember when i got my first mal-in-law you know seven years six or seven year old belgian import that was sitting in a kennel and so i wanted a dog they're like here you go and man it took me longer than i'll ever admit to get him out of the damn crate uh -huh. <laughs> And there was plenty of beer that went along with that. I mean, I pretty much got lit mm -hmm. to get the balls to open that door. Yeah. And that dog humbled me in a way that no dog ever did. And I, I mean, we ended up, you know, after about a month and he was nuzzling me in between my legs. And I mean, we were best buddies, but that process taught me a lot. And then, you know, I've been lucky to have some really good people in my life in the dog world who, you know, then I got a clicker put in my hand. Mm-hmm. And then I did some experiments. You know, I tried I tried working with dogs with as little aversion as possible, not out of some moral conundrum, not out of some ethical virtue signaling conquest. No, I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, let me see what this is. Let me see what this is all about. And I learned all those pitfalls and all the stuff that happens there. And now, then you eventually find yourself in this middle ground where you take a little bit of everything. And you apply it as the dog needs you to apply it to get the job done. The simplified term that Howard and I always talk about, Katie, is train the dog in front of me. Mm -hmm. You know, what? what's this dog doing at this time and is it applicable? Because if you listen to people on the Internet or if you, people Google stuff, what they're reading is not necessarily incorrect. But it's not applicable to that dog in that moment. You know, there's all kinds of people that will send us videos or they'll ask us to comment on a video online. And I'll be like, well, you know, I don't know the context behind. Maybe that was the best rep they got today, right? Is there other things they could have done? Maybe. Could things have been done better or worse? Yeah, maybe. But that might have been the best rep. And I have no idea where they, how they got to where they are. So I'm not going to say anything bad about what I see. You know, there, there's obviously times that you can't look at things and go, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't do that. But you know what I'm talking about. In general, when you see in some of these videos, you're like, can't really put that in context because I don't know where they where they came from. <laughs> None of this operates in a vacuum. And social media makes it real easy to make it seem like a vacuum. Uh -huh. And I think one of my favorite examples of this, and you might have heard me ranting about it on some other show, but my one of my favorite examples is free shaping. Mm. So, you know, it's nothing is new in dog training. Like nothing is new. But if you have a group of people who haven't heard about something or they don't necessarily understand something and then someone who has some clout in their opinion talks about it and they've never heard it. Well, it's brand new. And I remember maybe about five years ago now where there was this through social media, especially through the working dog crowd. Yep. There was this big research resurgence because it's not new of free shaping. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's this new toy. That everybody's talking about free shipping. Now, a lot of working dog folks also make their money in the pet dog world. So there's a lot of crossover there. You know, folks, you know, you got to pay for your passion because working dogs aren't paying for everybody. So they take this thing that they saw in the vacuum that they saw it in with no context and then start applying it uh -huh. everywhere. And everyone's like, free shape is the greatest thing. I'm like, really? I don't let any 
of my pet dog clients do that <laughs> like at all. And I've had some people who are, you know, growing behavior nerds and they're like, oh, but Katie, I've heard you talking about operant conditioning. You're rather educated on all that. I'm like, yeah, I am. I, I'm, I, I'm very comfortable getting into any type of conversation about that stuff with anybody. And no, I do not do free shaping with pet dogs. And I don't recommend it. They're like, well, why not? It's, it's great. It's the dog does all this learning. I'm like, all right. So in free shaping, you know, the dog is, is doing everything on their own, right? The handler is just there to confirm whether or not the dog did something that's going to earn a paycheck. I get it. That is wonderful. There is no conflict there. And there is no debate that a dog learning a lesson through his own action is going to be one of the most profound lessons. The retention is going to be higher. I get that. Cool. So dog's trying to figure out how to get the food. Where does the dog look to find the answer? The environment, right? Because it's free shaping. It's hands off. All right. So that dog is looking to the environment. He's looking around. He's trying to figure out how can I get that click? How can I make that click? Oh, he figures something out. There's a click. He gets back into it. We're going to do another repetition. You know, the handler is up in the criteria appropriately, making it more challenging. And the dog gets frustrated. And again, where does that dog look to get the answer to the environment? So now let's take that and let's look at our pet dog, Joe Schmo pet dog owner. He's got a dog that gives him the middle finger every day. He's got a dog that is so consumed with the environment, he could care less what his owner's doing. And now we're going to give that owner this training tool, this method that teaches the dog to seek the environment for every answer when that's the whole reason why he came to a dog trainer in the first place is because the dog is more obsessed with the environment than him. Mm, interesting. Well, I, I agree. I always my, my, my common thing is, am I supposed to let them eat all the couch cushions? Before, you know, what, but, they're, but they're learning on their own. Well, is that good for them to eat the couch cushions? You know, all the stuffing? <laughs> and they just look at you like, what? Yeah, I'm not going to allow my dog to do that. I'm going to stop it. And I'm going to, once it stops, I'm going to redirect it with me to teach it all good things come from me versus my couch cushions. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly now, why I wouldn't do that either. Yeah. If, and it's a, now, so people understand, you know, the reason why I brought that up was, because Richard, you brought a really good point up, and that is, you know, context. And it's these things can be good, they can be true, they can be valid, but how it's used is important. And case in point, I'm not knocking free shaping. Right. If let's look at now, I don't have any hands-on experience with odor dogs, right? Detection of any kind, it's all theoretical knowledge for me. However, I do know this: if I were to get out there tomorrow. And, and I'm going to start a dog up. I know one of the most important principles is that I let that dog work. I let that dog hunt. I let that dog be a hunting predator and go out and find that odor. And I'm going to get the hell out of his way. I'm not going to be walking around tapping things. I'm not, I don't want that dog interacting with me at all. I need him to go hunt. Now, free shaping or that principle of having a dog seeking the environment for an answer, well, that right there is very there's a lot of overlap there with a dog whose job is to go out and find odor independent of the behavior and the communication of the handler well now those two activities there's some overlap there you can see how that might help that dog become stronger in their independence from their handler to find a solution to that problem so there's a case where i wouldn't be averse to doing that type of work or that type of training with that type of dog 
because it it's it works really well with what I need that dog to do, which is be independent of the handler and go off and be a dog and find stuff with his nose. I agree. I agree. We don't do a true. Well, I think asking someone to do free shaping and that's never trained a dog. That's that's a big ask. Again, you know, when we do things, if I'm going to teach something simple like uh, and I've done it with my own dog, I want to teach him to put his nose in a muzzle. Okay, I'm going to set the environment up to where it's conducive to him to learn. Right. Because he does like to interact with the rest of the world because he's a Dutch shepherd and that's the world is his oyster. Mm-hmm. So we put him in, you know, a, a kennel with just me and I zip tie the, the muzzle to the kennel and there's nothing else in there for him to interact with. So he's going to he's going to naturally gravitate to this thing that doesn't fit in the environment. Mm-hmm. I can begin to click and pay through successive approximation and in very short order, I can get him to do that behavior, which is a very simple behavior. And then we start working on duration and time, keeping his muzzle in there and then truly understanding now it is I'm, I'm asking you to do it mm-hmm. I say muzzle, and you go purposely to it. Stick your nose in there. We'll click and pay. Asking somebody to do that. That's never trained a dog. One is they're never going to set the environment up to work in their favor. There's not. So all those things that you're describing, and I can see how that could be an utter nightmare of trying to do, just thinking about me flipping the script on that, putting the the muzzle outside the kennel with all the things in the backyard that he can interact with and how difficult it would be to get him to do that now. Mm-hmm. It's nearly impossible. He would he would literally be summoning his nose. Hey, guys, I need to let you all know that the Thin Blue Line Conference is now the Hold the Line Canine Conference. It's the same great annual conference run by the same great folks. The Hold the Line Canine Conference is a 3D educational conference started by Joe Lukowski, who is an active canine handler with the Pocono Mountain Regional Police Department. It was started solely for law enforcement officers and military personnel. This year, it will be held on May 2nd through the 4th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They offer a variety of classes with an impressive instructor lineup, as well as an array of top-notch vendors. To ensure their attendees are up to date with the ins and outs of the canine industry, they are constantly making sure their class schedule reflects this. Some new instructors this year include Kenny Williams with Interdiction, Mike Nesbeth, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Lilly, and Steve White, to name a few. Attendee and vendor registration is now open, as well as a variety of sponsorship opportunities. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to have a great time with fellow brothers and sisters in blue, as well as to further educate yourself to keep you and your canine safe. Register at thinbluelineconference.com or htlk9.com. Also, follow them on Facebook and Instagram for continuous conference updates. Yes, there's squirrels, there's lizards, there's bumblebees. We got to get those too. I think another often overlooked and rarely spoken about variable here with this type of, with everything involving dogs, but even with something like free shaping is the human and the dog and the relationship that they have together. Mm -hmm. Right. So I remember I was having a conversation with someone I have a lot of respect for. And I mean, they could train circles around me and we were talking about, they were asking me how my business was doing, you know, what's it like dealing with pet dog owners? I'm like, "Eh, you know, it's rough. It's rough. And, you know, I've made some changes in how I do it. I don't use clickers with most of them anymore. And they were like, Huh? You don't you don't use a clicker with them? I'm like, no, no. 
They're like, yeah, but like the principle is the same if they're using a verbal marker. Oh, I get it. But here's what happens. One, when someone understands the clicker and they learn it, it's a completely innocent and it's almost kind of admirable. They get so excited at the first time in their life they can they feel like they can communicate with their dog. And I love seeing that in any dog owner. And it is cool when you're like, holy shit, I taught him to do that. This tool helped me do it more effectively. But then what happens is a lot of people get click happy and they enjoy it so much that they, and I'm, oh, I'll jump into some of the the nomenclature here that I typically don't use with them, I'll say they get stuck in constant reinforcement for too long. They don't get into variable. They don't get into intermittent schedules. It's just click, pay, click, pay, click, pay, because it's fun. And I get it. I understand that in and of itself creates problems if you stay in constant reinforcement too long. But when I'm dealing with pet dog owners who typically already are bringing a very dysfunctional relationship to the table, they're already bringing a relationship where the dog has little, if any, respect at all for them. The dog is already dictating much of the human's behavior, and the dog is aware that they're dictating the human's behavior. If I throw a clicker in that person's hand, and the first thing we start working on is click pay, click pay, click pay, and whether it's free shaping or whether it's whether it's lured, it doesn't matter. Uh, if I get into high rates of reinforcement, with a dog and an owner, and there's no respect there. I've seen those dogs get aggressive when they weren't aggressive before. And, you know, people want to talk about science, but they don't talk about what Skinner discovered when they had a bunch of pigeons or doves and they kept on, they had a high rate of reinforcement and then they stopped reinforcement. Those birds started attacking each other out <laughs> of frustration mm -hmm. because when you are on this pace schedule, boom, 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 and then you cut it off. Remember, these animals, they're so smart. I get it. They have the emotional maturity of a two- to three-year-old, though. Like, the, the, the way that their emotions work, it's very primitive. And a lot of these dogs deal with that frustration with aggression. Well, they can't have a conversation with no, you. No, they can't. <laughs> so here we got this, and this is what, you know, a lot of the purely positive people, we all, we all know they don't have a clue about aggression and dealing with that. But I, I see a lot of people on the other side, like the rest of us, who are absolutely aware that we need to set boundaries, give corrections, no problem. The individual I was talking to, he's like, what do you, I've never had that happen. I go, yeah, dude, you're one of the most alpha men, human beings I've ever met in my life. No dog is even going to try that with you. And it has nothing to do with how many clicks you give. It's because that dog already knows who you are. And your relationship and your boundaries have already been incredibly well established, which means you can get away with stuff like that because it has no impact. And it's so important. I'm going to speak directly to the majority of your listeners. It is so important. For you folks who are good with dogs, who have strong personalities, who work with really tough dogs where you must earn their respect fairly and appropriately, don't forget if you're in the pet business, most of those people coming to you do not have that relationship with that dog. And the things you can get away with with your dog could get them bit with theirs. That is very real. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I agree. Heck, I bet there's even some handlers out there that could benefit from that because I don't oh, want no to, doubt. I, I don't want to lump everybody in one big boat and say, okay, no, everyone who's got a working dog is perfect and every pet owner is weak. Nope. 
Nope, because there's probably some working folks out there who are on their own trying to find information outside of their training units, and they come across this and they're like, hey, let me try this, and then they wonder why that four-year-old Dutch import is now looking at them getting real pushy, and they're like, but I, I, I'm using a clicker. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Why Why is he growling at me? Because you haven't clicked fast enough, buddy. That's what he's telling you. Because you so, haven't gave that cookie out yet. That's right. Right. I wanted to talk a little bit about conflict. You know, this gentleman that came to visit, it's really interesting. I was just listening to him talk. He was very, very articulate and just was sharing his experiences, which he's only been on the road. I think he went through a five and a half week school. He's been on the road since I think he told me right around Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> excuse me, not very long. And again, he's admitting that his experience is based on the one school that he's been to. So he's he's kind of at a point now where it's the instruction that he got, the school that he went to is not in his home. You know, he had to travel to that. Mm-hmm. And he's part of a training group, which is what the way a lot of those arrangements work. So our situation is kind of unique where I'm kind of the ded- dedicated trainer, which works out nice. And, and I, I realize that what my guys know is pretty much what I've taught them. So I'm listening to him talk and I'm trying to fetter out which, how much of this information have you gleaned from your your current or previous instruction, and how much of this is your own formulating thoughts about what's taking place? So one thing that was very evident from the beginning is that the dog wasn't as tough and driven as I think that he thought he thinks that it is. I mean, to him, it's all about perspective. So to him, it's a big, strong dog, and he's very driven. We're we were kind of looking at like, yeah, seems pretty clear headed to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I thought he did very, very well, but you know, as we were, we were talking, the person he got his original instruction from is it doesn't like e-collars at all, but lo and behold, this guy has an e-collar and he's figuring out how to use it. And I'd say he's doing a pretty good job because he's obviously been doing some homework. But one of the things that he said, and I thought this was an interesting thing about, he didn't use the word conflict, but he was saying that what he what he doesn't like about the e-collar is that it's not per, it's not a personal correction. So I wanted to kind of talk about that because sometimes to me the best correction is the one that I think the dog thinks he caused, and it doesn't. Does the correction always have to be personal? Like. I did that to you. I made that happen. I sometimes I really think there's a, a value is that the dog's actions, he believes that he caused it, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. sense. <laughs> uh, so, I, that's why I'm smiling over here as you're as you're talking about this, because I know so where we're going. When the individual, because that's that's the root of conflict, right? Is that if if the dog believes I did that, and, and you believe it's important that he knows you did that, you're going to find out what kind of dog he got pretty quickly, especially in a working dog, right? I, I would rather he believe the lie that his actions caused it. I don't I don't care whether he thinks I that he has to do it for me. He has to do it because I said it. For me, he doesn't have to. I don't think he has to believe that I caused it because I don't want that battle. And that's exactly what it could be. Yes. And there's this is such an awesome topic because this is another one of those man there is no right and wrong. Right. And like and like Richard said earlier, there's truth in it, there's value in it, but what's the context? Because okay. there are some situations that I have to deal with in the pet world where I honestly want to I want to create a little bit of conflict. 
Mm-hmm. I actually need that relationship to have a little conflict in it so that because I know with that dog and that human that that human will be able to handle it and that will change everything in the relationship. And all we need is one little uh, typically we do it at thresholds. Mm-hmm. So crossing one of the big things with pet dogs is not going out of an open door without permission. Right. That's where I create conflict. And I allow, I create a situation where that dog owner is able to tell that dog, no, you can't come out that door. Mm-hmm. That's tr- that's straight out of Kohler's page 27. <laughs> Subsection C <laughs> highlighted, you know, oh. and in those moments we can, that's actually going to strengthen that relationship. However, I, there's, I, I mean, the list is long. It's indefinite of how many people. And their dogs, I would never put in that type of situation. And when we we talk about working dogs and my own experiences, my experiences revolved around what you described, Howard, Mm -hmm. because I am not an over-the-top, high-testosterone, alpha, like, no. Like, for years, I'd get angry because if I stood out in the middle of the field next to, you know, maybe 15 yards from one of the other decoys I'd work with, and you just sent the dog, I'd get bit every time, and the three of us know exactly why. Yeah. Like, the dog was picking the easier freaking target. So, like, now now have me hold a leash. I'm that guy who gets bit every time when the dog gets to pick. Now take me out of the suit and hand me a leash. I couldn't use conflict. I so, couldn't. if I'm hearing you correctly, you want conflict to develop some conflict. Because there are owners that probably have never asserted themselves with their dogs. Ever. ever. Ever interesting, yeah. And in those situations, oh, it's more than interesting. (laughs) (laughs) In those situations, with you know, depend again, depending on the dog and the person, it it can one repetition can change everything. Everything, however, the beauty of the e collar because that's where this started is from me personally. One of the benefits of the e collar is there can be be the the possibility that there's no connection with the handler. Right. So for me, when I use an e-collar, it's, I don't want the dog knowing it's coming from me. Mm-hmm. Now, could I let the dog sure. know it's coming? Yes, I could. Right <laughs> you know, I could let the dog know. I could pair it with a verbal marker, a punishment marker. The dog absolutely knows it's somehow coming through me. I can pair it with leash communicator. There's so many things I can do so that dog realizes that I did that. But that kind of defeats the purpose of one of the coolest things about this piece of technology is that I can create scenarios where the dog absolutely thinks that this consequence is associated with their decision to do this behavior and I, I got nothing to do with it that dog can look at me and i can say man i bet you wish you didn't do that i didn't have anything to do with and it that's really the basis of of uh, eric stambro's whole tone avoidance thing that he does with the e-collar and we had him on and he went in detail about how that works and you know basically you could take a dog especially for counter surfers it's awesome you could actually be in the other room and you know you look through look at a mirror and you can the dog's consequences are going to cause cause the you know the collar to go off. Gets close to the counter. Oh nope, you don't have to say a word. That counter is pretty powerful. Well, when we're talking about behaviors like that, like so that's I don't I would not classify that as obedience, right? That, right. That's not obedience. That's life behaviors. That's something that I can honest. We can all say that that's something we'd want a dog to never do. Right. Not a don't do it now or don't do it in this situation, but that's like a, a hard no, a never, an absolute. And yeah, 
I want that dog thinking that that countertop is made of lava. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about punishment, one of the key principles is punishment only works in the presence of the punisher. And, you know, I always use the analogy of the, the, the cop doing radar in the median, right? I see him slow down. If he's gone or if I see him with a customer on the side, I speed up. Like it's, <laughs> it, I'm good. You know, the, the, the punisher is either preoccupied or not there. Now, mm-hmm. if there was something in my gas pedal, where if I hit a certain speed limit and some sense in averse of consequence happened on my foot, well, now I'm associating this consequence with my own behavior. That'll be a much more profound lesson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like counter surfing, garbage rating, snake avoidance, all of those things. Like we don't want anything that that's where the e-collar is just so beautiful, wonderful, and it's such a great tool to communicate. Zero harm comes to the animal, zero conflict with the owner, and our dog is living a safer life because of it. Sign me up. Well, and you're not nagging him, right? You want to send that message home. And you only have to do it one time, maybe twice for the dog to understand why it happened. Usually two times. I take that back, not one. It's usually on the second rep where the dog realizes, oh, that's what did that. Mm-hmm. And then they're good mm-hmm. if you did it right. Yeah. It, Our own dog it was funny. <laughs> he got tangled up with the uh, the rack in the dishwasher. You know, he's a pretty confident dog, but he got his collar caught in the in the rack on the dishwasher. Of course, he jerked it out. And but it was it was a frightening thing for him. He didn't like it. Well, he doesn't get anywhere near the dishwasher anymore. Great consequence. Couldn't have couldn't have planned it any better. Well, because as, as Katie said earlier, that's one behavior we that we could all agree on that we don't want the dog in the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> or the refrigerator. Or unless the, he's getting a beer. Unless he's getting me a beer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, conflict is it's it's not an absolute. I think there's a time and a place for it, but I definitely for me with the e-collar, it just kind of defeats the purpose. It, it's uh-huh. I don't want to ruin I don't want to lose one of the most beneficial elements of that communication tool, mm-hmm. which is that I can make it outside of me. Sure. Do you have a particular type of e-collar that you prefer? Nope. No. I've I mean if you were to look on my wall, I got, you know, I got a I got a dog to arc hanging there. I like that one because I like the shape of it. Yeah, like, well, I cool. I really like how low profile it is. Mm-hmm. I got an I got an e collar tech and mm-hmm. a, a big blocky one. I can't stand the the remote. I don't like that round right. remote. But I find I I find a lot of consistent. I I don't feel insecure about the level of consistent stimulation. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that arc I've seen. I mean, oh yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, is that stem the same? Like what? Not. The, uh, I got some questions. I have some unanswered questions with it. I've been using lately the um, the the Dogtra the the Tom Davis edition. Yeah. He, he had he had sent me he gifted me one before he released it, and he was like, "Here, check this out for me." You know, do a video about it. I haven't done the video yet. He's probably pissed. Here at Working Dog Depot, we're pleased to make an extra special announcement. Fox and Hound Canine Foundation will be hosting their first celebration event with a fun-filled day meeting canine teams from across the country in an incredible atmosphere on Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri. On June 3rd, fun for the whole family will start at 12 noon. Included in the day of events are special canine demonstrations, raffles, a silent auction, vendor booths, balloon artists, live entertainment, and music. Later on in the evening, you're invited and encouraged to join in the gala event starting at 6. 
You can purchase an entire table or individual seating as you see fit. Enjoy an open bar, which will transition into a cash bar a little bit later in the evening. Also included are a silent auction, music, special private canine demonstrations, and VIP guest appearances. A detailed agenda will be forthcoming as the event date draws closer. We know that the folks at Fox and Hound, our title sponsor, have a huge heart for canines and their handlers. It's important to know that all proceeds that are raised by their fantastic Canine Foundation event go to assist canine teams by providing funding, equipment, supplies, paid canine medical expenses, canine handler education, and specialty training for active and retired canines. Don't miss out on this super opportunity to network, have some fun, and support a wonderful cause. We hope to see you there. But um, that was kind of neat. It's got a couple functions on it that I like where the the nick if you hold the nick it kind of creates like a pulsing sensation so it's not just tap 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 it's 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 kind of hard to explain you got you put it on you can feel it and i kind of i've played with that for like negative reinforcement in terms of it being at a level where it almost kind of feels like the way i would use leash pops to communicate yeah. like hey yeah. i need you to do this hey i need you hey there you go you did it um yeah. interesting interesting collar um but yeah i got no brand loyalty i got yeah. no model affinity i'm i'm kind of playing with them i don't use them a whole lot uh-huh. I, I used to use them more and then i kind of go through phases where i'm like all right let me make sure i can do this like grandpa did let sure. me let me make sure my communication my relationship is such that i can still throw a long line on and do it with whatever collar the dog has on and I can get it done because I never want to find myself getting too comfortable with an e-collar. Mm-hmm. That's that's why we make all of our people, no matter how long they've been there, do it all through the uh, that way first before we ever add an e-collar. There's some situations where that you know doesn't hold, but for the most part, all behaviors are taught before we ever do that and all of our people will continue to do it that way so they don't forget. Too easy to do it the other way sometimes. It is. It is. I recently had a young trainer who's I've been working with since he had his first dog, and now he's trying to find a mentor in person, and uh, he's doing great. Now, he's a natural with dogs, right? So he's got that thing you can't teach. He's got that presence. He's got that confidence. It's it's there, and you can see it in the dogs and how they react the minute you hand them the leash. And recently, he asked me about an e-collar. Hmm. Mind you, he's got less than 20 dogs under his belt. And I was like, nope. He's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, hey, you're asking me? I'm a teacher, not a tyrant. You do whatever you want. You're a grown-ass man. But if you're asking for my blessing, hell no. He's like, well, why not? Like, how am I going to learn it? I go, when you get to triple-digit dogs, and even there are some old heads who would look at me and go, what, only 100? <laughs> like, <laughs> But when you get enough dogs under your belt, where you can, I said, you can't even read a dog yet. You can't even look at a dog consistently and confidently say what he's thinking. How are you going to put on a tool where you need to be able to read every twitch of his, every part of his body and how it moves and everything. You need to be so good at doing that to responsibly use this tool that if you throw this tool on, you're actually going to miss out on a lot of learning that a good old fashioned flat nylon inch and a half collar will teach you in your interactions with the animal. 
Like you need to go through some of those challenges to learn this awesome dog, this awesome species that has its own way of communicating with you. If you put that collar into your learning too soon, there's a lot you're going to miss out on. Right. I watched my my mentor, who I don't really talk much about, but it was really the gentleman that helped get my start, put an e-collar on a dog. And, and this is kind of like one of those things. Tell me you don't know how to use an e-collar without telling me you don't know how to use an e-collar. It was a great big Akita. It was off lead. And this is back in the day when the uh, I Tritronics was the mm-hmm. collar of the day which, you know, was before, I guess, Garmin bought Tritronics out. It was great big, yes, and it had the colored modules. The plug. Yeah. The plugs. I know exactly so what you're talking about. Red was the hottest, and, of course, he came from the philosophy that, oh, there's five of them. We only need the red one. We'll just throw the other ones away. Well, when he lit that dog up, it bolted, and it. I know I chased it for a mile and a half. <laughs> it's probably we still finally running. got it back. But, you know, there were people that they, I mean, he didn't know what he was doing. He just didn't have a clue. No, and, I, and those I, horrible tools. That <laughs> was a horrible, horrible tool. I saw the same thing happen. Only the person knew what they were doing. They just didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. He said, he'll come back eventually. Once he gets closer, he figures it out. And mm. next thing you know, like three minutes later, after I heard it was, heard it was a Labrador, I mean, I could hear screaming all through the woods as the dog is just running around, running around. And finally it got even started to get in the direction of him. He, he goes, this is what now you take your thumb off. Mm. And then the dog turned and went right back the other way. And he goes, and this is when you put it back on. And I'm watching this like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, And I knew that guy knew what he was doing. I'm like, oh, boy. Yep. Okay. Here's what not to do. Yeah. Yep. There's There was an old uh, a Facebook page called Dog Training. You're doing it wrong. And and that should have been on there. <laughs> <laughs> What's a long line? Who needs a long line? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's a guarantee that he's not getting more than 30 feet away, no matter what you do to him. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about, before we wrap it up, a little bit about Street League. So you are hosting or you're – I know that I've watched some of the videos, and we've we've got a friend, Courtney Wolf, who is a decoy, and that's who I was with. I'm going to back up just a second, Howard. Me and Courtney are no longer friends. <laughs> you know, I invite him here to our home to to a, to a seminar, and, you know, he comes and we have dinner here at the house, and he, he meets one of my dog trainers, and now he is engaged to her, and she's moving to Florida, so we're not talking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't sign a no-poaching contract. Man, he, I, you know, from now on, any dog trainers that come up here is going to be a no-dating clause in every contract well you just need to hire homely dog trainers well <laughs> or don't invite the studs over <laughs> courtney wolf went way up that's all i'll tell <laughs> i think he would admit he's out of his league yeah, he did well he did well for himself yeah. so now i don't even know where i was talking what i was talking about street league street league, street league. commentator yep Work. so i am the lead commentator for street league we really are trying to establish this idea that, you know, these aren't trials. They're not dog trials. They're dog events. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference. When you go to a street league event, it's, it's not like going to a trial that you've been to before from the minute you pull into the parking lot. It's a different energy. It's a different vibe. You hear the music going. I mean, 
between the vendors booths, the DJ, the food, complete family atmosphere, you know, it's very different. And I think one of the the biggest things that I like about it is the way that Street League views, treats and values the participants and the decoys. So from decoys to handlers, everyone is celebrated. The decoys are absolutely appreciated for the professional athletes and teachers that they are mm-hmm. and what they do for a living and what they do with dogs. And at the same time, these handlers who dedicate immeasurable amounts of time, money, mileage, Everyone who's ever handled knows how much they drive from seminars to sometimes people are driving an hour and a half just to get the club Mm -hmm. three nights a week. And those participants, those handlers at a street league trial, oh, they're getting treated appropriately too, including thousands of dollars of cash prizes at every single event. It's, it's, it's rad. I, I, for me to even be involved in it is saying a lot because I mean, it's the first sport I've chosen to get involved in, and I, I really there isn't anything else I'd want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. And all of that comes from, and as you guys well know, you know you've met Mike Jones, sure, and you know all organizations, not dog, organizations, businesses, groups. The person at the top sets the tone, sets the culture, mm-hmm. and you, you it's you'll be hard pressed to find a more solid character morals, ethics, and a person that you will with Mike Jones and street league follows suit in every aspect. That's great. Yeah. We we really like Mike. Well, I'm, I'm going to the next event then. that's subtle. Good. I'm going to come, I'm going to come watch one. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I've been, I keep saying I am. I'm going to go watch one. No, you're in Kentucky, right? I am. All right. Well, this fall possibly don't have any dates yet. If, if we did, I wouldn't be able to tell you. We're going to be on the East Coast. Okay. So, so far we've been in California. Obviously, the goal, the long-term mission is to be worldwide. But the next step is to get to the East Coast. So, we started in, Cal- in West Coast. We're going to go to East, and then we'll work our way to Middle. But at least we'll be a whole lot closer to you this fall for our next trial than, uh, than California. Nice. Yeah, because that's behind enemy lines. I don't know if I can go to California. This, hey, this is the first street league is the reason why I went. I'd never been to California. Like I live in Florida. All right. Like <laughs> I live in the I am proud to say I live in the free state of Florida. And for me to go to California, I was like, oh, they going to let me in. Mm. And as I've never been, I've always been curious. I heard the weather's good, but then there's the whole, you know, there's everything about California. I'm like, do I even want to go? So when Street League was there, it was kind of like, well, now I got to go. Uh-huh. And uh, I always tease Mike. I'm like, Mike, Street League's the only reason why I go to California. And he's like, all right, I better not catch you here in between trials then, because then you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, California is still a great place to visit. There's a lot of good communities Shout out to Fallbrook, California. Last time I was in California, great place to stay, great food, good people. Everybody there apparently uh, owned a gun as well, which is nice. I'm fascinated by the geography. Yes. Like I'm a nature outdoorsy kind of guy anyway. Like I'd rather be outside than inside. And I feel like I, I am a tourist technically. I don't live there. But every time I go to California, my head is on a swivel. Because there's just place. mountains and woods. And then it looked like when I went to uh, San Diego for trial one, well, I was up in Escondido, 
and I'm driving to the trial, I felt like I was on Mars. Like everything was red and rocks and it was just, it was cool. It was neat. I felt like a little kid. So I'm it's definitely tourist when I go out there. Beautiful place. All right. Well, sounds good. I think that's maybe a good place to kind of wrap things up. Katie, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. And Likewise. Thanks for inviting fun. me. Yes. That was a good conversation. I really, and we've never got to meet before. And it was really, I look forward to meeting you in person. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Thank you. I think I would like to go to one of those events events as well if it's going to be on the East Coast. Well, we can't take Howard, Katie. <laughs> Howard, Howard is a prima donna. So, you know, he'll he, he'll need accolades, somebody to walk him around, you know. Hey, listen, I've I, on social media, I was very I'm very vocal about this at every trial because one of the most important things about K9 Street League is they consistently have always provided the best public restrooms and porta potties I have ever seen in my life. And I stand behind that statement 100%. Nice. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Old men got to have the routines. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, hey. You can tell that we've roomed together before. It's terrible. <laughs> All right. Again, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Well, Howard, that was a great conversation with Katie. Nice guy. Very intelligent guy. I'm, I'm surprised that he chose to uh, talk to us. He actually seemed willing. We didn't even have to twist his arm. No, absolutely. No, not, nice, great conversation. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I think he enjoyed it too. So it was good. He's got vast experience and he has a good working knowledge of, of working dogs, even though his bread and butter is the uh, online stuff for pet dogs. Super good communicator. So I think people will really enjoy listening to that episode. Of course, by this time, you've already heard it. So tonight we have Elijah Craig, the father of bourbon. Did you know that? You know, I did not know that. Consider the father of bourbon. Uh, we are actually, we've got the Toasted Barrel. And they have a few offerings. Elijah Craig apparently was quite the character. He was a Baptist preacher, entrepreneur, uh, educator, but he was also an enslaver. Oh. So, yeah, I don't know, just kind of a weird history. Of course, when you go back in time in this country, in Kentucky of all places, people did some shady things. But they also are the originators of the uh, charred taste. And some people say that that maybe came about because of an accidental fire. So... You know, the charred barrels, the right. the toasted barrel is, I think, it has been in a couple different barrels. And it's uh, a little bit more expensive, still like 94 proof here in North Carolina. It's pretty highly sought after. So it's not one they just stick on the shelf. They stick on the shelf behind the counter. So good <laughs> stuff. I picked it up today. It's like 70 bucks, 69 bucks. Okay. And it is smooth, smooth. It's about the same price here, I think. Yeah, I would All think right. so. Well, here's to the hair of the dog that bit you. Let's give it a yeah, try. Fair. All right. Appreciate it. It is tasty. Yep. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.